Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates and how the recent rise will affect the spring home buying season. We're also going to talk about inventory and the state of the overall economy. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It's so good to have you back. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. So today, rates, 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 mortgage rates. Let's talk about it. Tell us what you think. Yes. And I think this this is a good conversation to have, especially with our housing uh, market tracker that we do uh, weekly. Uh, mortgage rates are now up uh, half a percent f- uh, f- from just the recent lows we had not that long ago uh, at 5.99. So we, the bond market, again, I'm a bond market guy. So the bond market tried to test an area didn't break and it's bounced off uh, strongly. We're getting toward a, a a a little critical point on the on the higher side, and it's brought rates half a percent. So the question now is, does this impact the trend that we've seen recently? And I think that's why the weekly tracker is created, so we could have an idea here about what rate level and what sales levels will actually be meaningful. And my argument has been that housing had a waterfall dive in demand and we got to like really key low levels that we haven't been able to break really or go under post 1996. So the bounce that we've seen here has to be put into context. Um, But it also shows, you know, that we can't repeat what we did last year. Last year we went from 3% to 7.37%. So we were like 6.19%. We went down to 5.99, that's six and a half. That kind of volatility is not as drama filled as it was last year, so that's a positive, right? Because people have a little bit more ch- uh, choices, and usually, you know, a quarter or a half a percent move is 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 a big deal. But it's not three to seven point three seven percent, and I think that's one positive thing for the housing market this year is that everyone's kind of still working in somewhat in a better reality instead of having such a shock of having mortgage rates go up so much. So it's critical for the planning of what you want to do in the spring as well. I mean, I get that. And I'm glad that we're going to see less volatility, but it's disappointing to me that we bounced off and now we're back up into, you know, half a percent higher. Yes, but it's also part of the 2023 forecast that four and a quarter was still in play. You know, I'm, I'm a technical guy and and you, you could possibly see a what I call a W formation on the 10-year yield and uh, respect that in that sense that this is where we are in a high inflationary environment with the labor market still strong. So um, over time, over the next you know 12 months, the growth rate of inflation is going to be falling. Wage growth is already falling. Uh, the employment cost index is already falling. Uh, inflation isn't going to be like a downworld deflationary collapse because the labor market is still solid. Um, but if the bond market whiffs that or gets a sniff that um, the uh, labor market is starting to break, they will they will start to get ahead of the Federal Reserve on that. And right now, the labor market was is solid. And, I, and I, like I try to stress, people, the number one question I got after that jobs report is, how did we create 500,000 jobs when the Fed tells us there's nobody to work? 
there's 166 million people working or the, the labor force is 166 million. The civilian labor force are working. We're at 155 million. We should be at 159 million jobs today if there was no COVID. So just think of it as that. Uh, hopefully that makes a little bit more sense because it is confusing. People say that there's no one working, quitting, and all of a sudden you have this big jobs report pop out of nowhere and it just throws the entire narrative of the last 12 months at the door. There's people there. Uh, um, uh, unlike other countries, we do have a massive young workforce. They can come in and replace some of the boomers. So that civilian workforce is still growing where other countries, it's not as prominent as us. So if I am a loan originator, I'm looking at the spring home buying season. I'm like, okay, where, where do we feel like, you know, you talked about that you feel like mortgage rates are going to stabilize a little bit or have stabilized. Can I count on this through the next couple of months? Like what are the, what are the factors that are going to make that more volatile or should I expect that this is, this is pretty much where we're going to be? There's a CPI report coming up. Uh, of course, all inflationary reports have been big movers of the bond market. Um, not every CPI report is going to be uh, positive or negative uh, f- for the 10-year yield. I, I just focus more on the trend, just like we did last October, that think about this 12 months from now. Because I think last October was the, you know, people thought we we're literally going to have 8 to 10% mortgage rates in the spring. So the constant you know, the, the real bearish case was actually going to be happening in December and January. That didn't happen. We're now talking about parts of the country having bidding wars again. Um, so uh, it, you're in a better place as a mortgage person and as a real estate person than you were last year. Last year, you just saw an escalation in rates that just collapsed sales. So just because sales levels are lower now, you have uh, some sense, you have a better better working place at this point than last year. Uh, and rates, I mean, obviously, if rates went from 6 to 10%, you know, the market activity would just shut down and sellers would take their homes out of the market. But um, in this case, you know, rates moving back and forth in the range, it looks normal to me. Um, if, if somebody was in the, we're just going to go straight down mortgage camp, or the ten-year yield is just going to because we're going into a recession. That's a whole different conversation, and this is why I've always said I am not a Fed pivot person until the jobless claims rise. Jobless claims did increase uh, this last week, but uh, uh, still historically low. Wage growth is falling. The employment context is falling. Uh, if the labor market gets weaker, the bond yields and the inflationary data will follow that. So we're at that stage. Uh, you don't want to get too greedy, but from going from 7.375% to 5.99% shifted the market uh, out there. And it's a positive. You'll see it in the home sales. And again, purchase application data, forward-looking, right? It started getting better in November, December. So the January, February numbers are going to be uh, uh, okay. And then it's the question is going out for the rest of the spring. At what level does the bond market rates impact from sales levels here? That's why we have the tracker data uh, to look out a few months uh, so you have an idea of what's going on. Yep, you are uh, referencing, of course, the housing market tracker, which you created and that we publish every Monday that looks at purchase application data, inventory, and mortgage rates in a very unique way. So tell me a little bit, you you mentioned the CPI uh, report coming out. When does that happen and what do you expect? Well, for the CPI report, one thing that I found very positive about the Federal Reserve is that they have abandoned their uh, rent inflation uh, uh, premise. And uh, 
going on CNBC last September on CPI day, I said, listen, rent inflation is just lagging and it's just going to take off. But by January and February, everyone will realize this is you know, slowing down, even though the CPI inflation data, shelter inflation is going to still keep on rising. Thankfully, the Federal Reserve actually said, okay, we realize this too. We're going to create our own index X shelter because the growth rate of shelters is slowing down, right? It isn't collapsing. Shelter inflation, rent inflation doesn't historically have these really big negative deflationary because most people are working. But uh, the growth rate is cooling. Uh, so you want to look at CPI data, service inflation, uh, X food, energy, and shelter. Um, the car used price index has popped up just a little bit recently. Uh, so some of the some of the service inflationary data has paused uh, from its downward trend. But overall, over time, you get more supply, things get back to normal. The history of global pandemics are all the same. Really big inflationary periods up front, then the disinflationary factors after that. The 1970s inflation premise that everybody is using, including the Federal Reserve, it's not been proven to work. It's not happening. We're already seeing the growth rate of wages go down. We've seen the growth rate of employment context, context uh, the employment cost index come down, and we're already seeing the growth rate of rent come down. You cannot have a 1970s premise without rent inflation taking off three different times. And I'm talking like epically taking off three different times. So uh, more supply helps us. That's what we should be pushing for in, the, in this country. Get those apartments out there. Get those apartments out there, and apparently the CPI data, the next one's going to be released on Valentine's Day. So there we go, which is uh, next week, what, uh, Tuesday. So we should, uh, maybe we can hope for a, a good Valentine's Day from from uh, that report. Probably, if we say that, it's going to be bad. So uh, <laughs> I do not want to jinx this. Uh, you know, I really feel for people no, coming I, into I, I, the and you know. It's some of the, some of the inflation data, shorter term inflation data has stabilized, so you know, my thing is that time, right? Uh, um, I understand some of the people that went sh are going straight into the deflationary camp, but they're also recessionary people too. That actually makes sense, right? Uh, in that call, all recessions are deflationary in the sense the growth rate of inflation calls up. We're not there yet because jobless claims hasn't there. So it's going to be like a 12-month process from October last year to October this year. Uh, but the trend is is there because remember that even though we all love the CPI inflation data, the Federal Reserve uses the personal consumption expenditures, the PCE. It just never gets the love like it, it like it does. But uh, that index is already cooling down enough to where we'll have a three handle, not a ten handle like some people were talking about. So again, the trend is right there and. You know, considering everything the housing sector has had to deal with last year, the fact that we're talking about a bounce in demand and inventory levels are so low, there's no distressed sellers out there or anything. Uh, uh, that's as good as you could uh, anticipate, considering the historical uh, year we had last year uh, in terms of the affordability hit. I really think so. You know, we've got mortgage rates on one side, we have inventory on the other. As far as like what the spring homes home selling season, home buying season is going to look like. And, you know, I mean, we had, we have historically low uh, inventory. So, you know, what are the prospects for that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Somebody uh, asked me, they're like, how did we have so many home sales if inventory is so low? Well, think of it as this way. This is why I was, I, in the previous expansion, I, I never bought into the low inventory holding sales back. What is demand? Demand is people listing their homes 
and selling them. If you sell them within 30 days, you know, does a re- or sell them quickly, they don't really get into the inventory channel. They're just gone. So you can have inventory fall as demand picks up, like supply and demand works, right? Demand picks up inventory. The question is the new listings data uh, in 2020 went negative during COVID. And in 2022, the second half of the year went negative. Inventory is demand because that seller typically buys. So you have to look at it in that light. And that hopefully explains, because it's really a historical thing. If you think about it this way, we had 6.5 million uh, home sales on in January of 2022 with inventory levels being low. And we're down to 4 million right uh, uh, home sales, the last uh, uh, NAR report monthly, and inventory is still low. Right, so you have this huge dynamics. I mean, historical dynamic swing in sales from January to, to December, and yet the inventory channels really. I mean, you had some inventory increase because the days on market and, and that stuff with higher rates, but we are so far away from what I or what anybody would consider normal is between two to two and a half million active listings. NAR we broke under a million. Uh, 970,000. The next report could be maybe even lower than that, but 860,000 NAR was the lowest levels we've seen. So inventory, of course, is is higher than last year. You know, when, when I went on the Altos podcast show last uh, June and said, you know, I think we could get inventory back to 2019 levels, you know, breaking 1.52 million just because, you know, if we start at a higher base and we get a little bit more increase, you know, 1.31 million was the high last year. And then we could just maybe get another 200,000 by the peak of spring. You could maybe crack that. Well, the problem is that the new listings data literally started to decline. That's like the worst thing. That's a demand hit. And uh, I hope more and more people understand this. Why I say I love to see more inventory because that are is more sellers that buy homes. That gets us back to a normal housing market, which is a slow dance, Sarah Wheeler, a little Valentine slow dance. We get the housing market back. Buyers and sellers just work with each other in a in a in a normal fashion, days on market over 30 days. That's what we used to have. But you know, post 20 things have been uh very hectic and you can't really establish a very long-term relationship on, you know, kind of these short hot flings. You need to have a long slow dance with the housing market and that's what we want. Uh, for our Valentine's wish. Logan, your metaphors today, they're just they're just on point, okay? How do you do this? So, you know, it is a catch-22 when you look at, you know, the mortgage rates and then the inventory because the whole thing is how do you lure sellers to be like, yes, I feel comfortable putting my house on the market that I'm going to be able to afford and find another house that I want to live in when rates are so much higher than maybe what they're locked into. And that that has been the conundrum for the last six months. That is the savagely unhealthy housing market aspect. Uh, um, when when home prices go up so much so fast and then rates shoot up, uh, it it makes the the seller cost of buying another home much harder. So they don't necessarily need to sell. Um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic that we have such good homeowners, and we've 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 shielded. The United States of America with this 30-year fixed product, other countries don't have this. You know, if you look at data from Norway, Canada, and all these other countries, they have these short-term rates and they're like everyone's worried about their payments jumping up and everything. Uh here in America, oh, like you your fortune of uh uh or your your shield, you know, the middle class is shielded by this magnificent castle. It's called their home. 
right? And that uh, the best, even in an inflationary period, it's all these people with these 30-year mortgages and their wages are really rising because of inflation. But here, your debt cost did it. So your cash flow, I mean, people's cash flow was good going into COVID and it just got better. And then your wages increase. It's almost not fair. Really, it isn't fair that that the American homeowner has this. Where I mean, if I was if I was other countries, I'd be like, maybe this wasn't the best idea of using short term debt. You know, uh, uh, maybe the thirty year fixed product had some uh, value in it because it was designed to be fixed debt costs, wages rise, you're living in your homes for a long time, and then guess what? You know, things are good uh, uh, for yourself, and even in tough times, even inflationary times. Your house is such a hedge against inflation, but then it also creates, well, mortgage rates go up so much. If you sell your home, can you afford? Now, I argue that the people that are listing to sell, that are looking to buy, not in distress, are actually okay. They're doing good financially. This is why I'm like, whenever I see the Altos research, I want to see inventory rise and inventory goes down. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) you know. And I think that's such an opposite view. Other people think that inventory rising is a bad thing. Americans are poor. They're No. No, they don't. Again, we don't want to be that one cult on the internet all the time, right? We just, we just want to. All of us want to be normal people. We want to avoid that group, right? So uh, uh, it's a good thing that you know you, you, myself, and those who who followed my work over the years know this is a big thing of mine. But you don't get tested until you had a, like a COVID event, then you had a forbearance event, and then you had a collapse in demand event. And what has it shown? Household balance sheets in America have never looked better. And as somebody whose family has been in banking since the late 1950s, that has been the main talking point. We've had three episodes in the last three years to show this to be the case, and it worked every single time. So it's a good thing for those 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 QM laws. Uh, um, but now we're at a different stage. We could all believe that everything is, is, is holding a better question is rates and demand and inventory. And this is why the housing market tracker was created just to show that uh, uh, demand and how it works and, and uh, mortgage rates, it gets too high, sellers don't quit. We take this as a week to week. So everyone has the up-to-date uh, 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 data to work off of. So, you know, you mentioned other countries and I know we actually have a lot of fans and listeners of this podcast in Canada. So speak for just a moment about our Canadian friends who have affordability in Canada is, is just really challenging right now. I always tell everyone, no matter how bad you think the housing market is here in whatever fashion, at least if you perceive it to be, at least we're not Canada. Canada and and Canada's home home prices are so far above their real personal disposable income that it's not even it, it's you can't even compare the U.S. and you can't compare the U.S. to like Australia, Norway, or any of those countries in a sense. Their home prices were so much harder now. The, the counter to this is that some people would say they're tied to short-term debt and short-term debt is cheaper in a zero interest rate environment in the world. Yes, that's actually allowed them to have home prices uh, accelerate more. Here, we have long-term fixed debt. Uh, the Canadians are going to have a readjustment of, pay, uh, of payments coming up soon. Uh, so I think their Federal Reserve, if I remember right, has basically said we have to stop hiking because of this. Uh, so, uh, I, I think there's going to be more central banks around the world that have their housing markets tied to short-term debts, basically cry uncle first, uh, because they have kind of this structural 
issues, not to the same degree as the housing bubble, but we had this scalable inventory because we had all this short-term debt that expired and inventory skyrocketed in foreclosures. I don't think they have that aspect. I just think it's going to be housing inflation is going to be more a real problem for other countries uh, than we do in the United States of America because our our debt is long-term and it's fixed. Uh, so the Canadians have to deal with that uh, uh, that reality once those recasts happen. But again, it, it, I, I don't believe they're, they're – anything like the loans that were here in America from kind of 1996 to 2005, or especially from 2002 to 2005, where the recast rates are so bad that uh, uh, um, you could be working full-time, two people, it didn't matter. Nobody can make the payment. So much different landscape than for everyone than what we saw from 2002 to 2008. But you can see the benefits of having long-term fixed debt, even if it is higher than short-term debt. So August 5th last year, you raised the six recession red flag. And, you know, you have this six recession red flag model that you actually presented to the Economic Council. Um, and their information is part of your um, part of your model there. So really interesting. But where are we on that? So I know that housing has been in a recession, but where are we on the overall economy? What do you think? So this is a very uh, interesting topic because I, I had to talk to an analyst on this and he doesn't know why the builders aren't laying off people because what's going on right here is everyone's seeing the housing permits data collapse and but the builders are here still keeping employment and i say guys the covid-19 delays is a jobs and infrastructure program without having the intentions of being a jobs and infrastructure program because the builders have a backlog and you have to like explain numbers like there's more homes that haven't started construction yet than new homes available so in that sense, you know, people think, well, why aren't the builders just firing other workers? There's no more new construction. Well, they're working on the old ones. Once that is done, then you'll see that impact. Uh, but as of now, we don't have that historical norm right there with permits falling and labor falling for construction. Um, the sixth recession red flag was, is, was designed for people to be early. And then when we get the sixth recession red flag up, then we look at the labor market at that point to see when claims break. Um, I never had the six recession red flags up in the previous expansion. I, three of my six flags were up only uh, before COVID hit. COVID was that anomaly event, shock, and then exogenous shock and very short recession come back. So basically, the last time I had my six recession red flags up were late 2006. So the recession didn't even start until 2008. And back then we had credit deterioration, right? The housing market was already in a recession. Permits were falling. We were already seeing the impact of housing become much more problematic back then. And the recession didn't happen until 2008. So I think the Fed, this is just my assumption, the Federal Reserve is looking back to Fed funds rate back then. And they're saying, we could raise rates to five or five or a quarter percent. And just let it stick because back then housing was breaking and we still had an expansion. Well, you know, it's interesting. Neil Kashkari, one of the Fed members, went on CNBC and he said, Well, if if housing, if housing comes back, that's a problem for us. Oh, boo-hoo. Problem for you. Big baby. What are you talking about? Go look back at your PCE inflation data back during the housing bubble years. It barely was above 2% half the time from 2002 to 2005. You know, home prices aren't even part of your uh, PCE inflationary day. It's rents. There's other things to worry about. God. So I think the Fed, again, talking tough to, to just stay conditions tighter as possible. 
Um, but here, credit our credit system is much different now. It's much better. So I take that line from what I'm saying as a clue that even back in 2006, late 2006, leading economic indicators were down, housing was in a recession. It didn't have, raw recession didn't even happen until 2008. So we have to look at credit conditions now and the labor market. And the six recession red flag was designed to, let's get to this part right here. And the conference board that runs the leading economic index, that's their stuff. They're the people that created the World Bank and the IMF. So here, we're going to be here. And then at this point, we'll see what happens. Uh, because the demographics of housing, of course, being job openings, 10 million guy, different this time. And also the consumer credit profiles are different this time. These are two positives for the expansion to keep going. So the quote unquote, how do you get a soft landing? Well, since August 5th, I said two things need to happen. Growth rate of inflation falls, bond yields fall, mortgage rates, what what sectors in recession? Housing. If housing could stabilize, right? It, it it takes a little bit of the pain away, and then the Fed stops hiking and then cuts like they did in 2018. That's obviously hasn't hasn't occurred. But uh, going out in the future, growth rate of inflation falling, bond yields falling, that is more impactful for the housing market than the Fed funds rate. Uh, so we're in this we're in this battle right here, where one of the two things I need to see for a soft landing is happening. The second one isn't, uh, uh, and we again take it one week at a time. Uh, so everything in their six recession red flag model looks looks about right with the uh, uh, intention that if bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell, housing could stabilize. That's not a growth. Uh, I don't think we get permits growing until the backlog is over and demand picks up. But until then, uh, uh, this is as good as you could get to keep the expansion going because we don't want we don't need a job loss recession to defeat this kind of inflation. We've already seen that. Uh, uh, and again, the uh, the previous expansion. Six, my six recession red flags were never up. We had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. COVID-19 shocked us. The America's back recovery model was written on April 7th, 2020. From that point on, actually, the U.S. economy is in a recovery ever since. So we, we're just at a different stage of this expansion right now. So if I um, if I am a realtor, if I own a brokerage, if I am um, you know if I am a mortgage lender, and I'm looking at like how do I how do I when do things start to get better? When can I say okay? When are things going to get better? From I would argue things start to get better November 9th. Now, if you're looking for growth in sales to get back to let's say 2019 levels, let's say 5.3 million on the monthly sales, you're probably going to need need to get lower rates uh, uh, in that you're going to need more uh, uh, sellers to come in there and list their homes to sell. But I would argue starting November 9th, things got better in context to the historical dive in demand that we saw last year, right? I mean, that that's going to be, to me, that's going to be a historical event to see mortgage rates go from 3% to 7.37%. Uh, uh, it was a complete demolishing of, of demand in America, which put housing into the re- in recession in uh, January, or excuse me, June 16th, uh, 2022. So we're just trying to work our way out of the recession. We're not there. We're nowhere close to there because housing permits are going to have to start increasing again to get us out of recession. We're n- this whole year, permits could be falling all year. But the fact that 6% mortgage rates stabilized the market, that has to be a benefit to everybody instead of the Demand was going to keep on falling in 2023. Uh, rates are too high. Again, millions of people buy homes every single year. If you break under four million, there's where I really go into the affordability crisis more issue because uh, obviously there's people buying homes or people buying homes again. Uh, it's hard to break underneath that four million level underneath. So we're just working from 
to me, a historical low bar right now, considering our population growth. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I know that things did start getting better on November 9th. I'm not sure that our you know, business owners feel that way or people who are in the trenches feel that way. They don't, but again, purchase application did rise. And we are we're pending home sales did go up. I, it's this is why the context is key. It's gotten better just because of the historical dive. So I'm the the optimist in me looks at it that way. Uh, it could have been worse. We could have been keep on rolling down lower and lower and lower, and you know uh, the housing uh, recession gets worse and worse, and it becomes really problematic for future production. But uh, for now, it held. You know, and uh, uh, we want to be positive in that nature, in the sense that we do actually have data to to prove this. We're not just making things up at this point. Uh, the housing tracker did work. It's a shame that we didn't have this last year, but you could actually see it <laughs> on a live basis now. And we're just going to take it one week at a time, and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, listeners, uh, look at the housing market tracker. It'll be out the same day that this uh, podcast is live, which is Monday. And then, of course, we'll be looking for your uh, analysis of the CPI data when that comes out on Tuesday, Logan. And thank you so much. And thanks for ending us on a somewhat positive note, at least the one that we can find right now. Yes, yes. And everyone enjoy your Valentine's Day. Remember, we want the housing market to have a slow dance like the slow dance relationship the 10-year yield has had with mortgage rates since 1971. That is a lovely marriage, by the way. Those people have been slow dancing with each other and not drifted apart no matter what happens in the economy. Even when the misery index was very high in the late 70s and early 80s, it didn't matter. They stuck together. So that is my Valentine's wish for everyone. I like that. That's pretty nerdy for Valentine's Day, but you know what? You make it work. So thanks for sharing it with us and thanks for being on. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.